Well, we're continuing on our series we've been doing for quite some time on preparation for revival, and we're going to be continuing this morning on the Feast of Tabernacles, which we uh, looked at last week, and, but this week we're going to look at particularly one aspect of the Feast of Tabernacles, and that is, that is it is a feast of glory, a feast of glory. Now, we saw that the Feast of Tabernacles, that is the major feast. It's the major feast uh, of the year for the Old Testament Hebrews. And, in fact, it's even mentioned in the, in the New Testament. Jesus mentioned it. And when, he, when Jesus said those words, you know, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. When he said those words, which are often quoted, they were not on the Feast of Pentecost, but they were on the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus spoke about the living, the living waters flowing forth. And as we saw last Sunday, the Feast of Tabernacles, it is the major feast of the year. It is a feast of great rejoicing. It lasted for seven, uh, it, it lasted for seven days. It was in the seventh month of the year. And on that seventh month, that was in a very important month of the year, and on the beginning of that seventh month, on the opening day of the month, the first day of the seventh month, it was the feast of the blowing of the trumpets. And the spiritual, and, and there were reasons that they blew their, the trumpets in the Old Testament. When they were going to war, when they were going on their journey, they, they blow the trumpets so everybody heard. And what is happening is God is giving us a fresh call. You know, arise, awake. Move on in God. And, you know, we're in the last days. We, we must go on for God. And then 10 days later, on the 10th day of that seventh month, then there was the most solemn, the most serious feast of the, the whole year. It was a day of compulsory fasting and, and, and examining their hearts, a day of affliction, the Bible says. And it was the feast of the day of atonement, and it was, not concern, it was concerning sin, dealing with sin. So their sins would be covered. But it was only covered for another year and because the blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin forever. And so the thought there is there was a cleansing of the people of God. And God is seeking to cleanse us, to purge us, to purify us. Why? So that we can come into the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the, the greatest feast of the year. And that was just only five days after the Day of Atonement. And it began on the 15th day of the seventh month of the year. And it lasted for seven days. And it was, it was a feast of great rejoicing. In fact, that feast in Israel, it finished last Friday, just this, this last Friday gone by, Friday, October the 9th, at sundown. Those seven days were finished. And normally in Israel, thousands of Christians go from many different nations to celebrate, you know, to celebrate in Israel, in Jerusalem, the, the, the Feast of Tabernacles. This year, because of COVID restrictions and so on, there weren't, you know, it was, it was not a big deal. But, uh, but generally it is, it's because it is the, it's the number one feast, the greatest feast of the year. And... We saw last time it was called a feast. It was also called, another name for it was the Feast of Booths. And that was because that the children of Israel, they dwelt in booths. 
And they left their own towns and their cities, and they traveled to Jerusalem, and there they, they dwelt together in these booths made of palm branches, and myrtle tree branches, willow branches, and temporary dwelling places. And they were, you know, before they were separated, but they came together. And so it speaks of, you know, unity. There's a unity that happens, a, a closeness, a oneness. And, and, and we look, too, that, you know, God is speaking to bring us into unity, a unity of not just a, not just a unity, first a, a unity of our hearts, but then a unity in the spirit, and then that leads on to a unity of faith, what we believe, and then a unity of brothers and sisters dwelling together in unity. And unity releases the spirit of God. On the day of Pentecost, there was great release as they, when they were in unity, the Holy Spirit fell. And so it was, a, it was a feast of booze. Another name for that feast was called a feast of ingathering. And the reason it was also called the feast of ingathering, it, it, it was because in the seventh month, it was like getting towards the end of the summer, and they gathered in all, their, you know, all the summer fruits and, and gathered in the harvest. It was the greatest harvest of the year. They gathered in the, 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 the grapes, and from the grapes they made the wine. You know, they gathered in the olives. From that they made the olive oil and the olives. And then they, there was a the harvest of the figs and the pomegranates and the raisins and the summer fruits. And so when it was all gathered in, Oh, how wonderful. What a, what a time of rejoicing it was. And, you know, God wants us, you know, to know the joy of the Lord, to know the joy of the Lord is our strength, to, as Paul says, to rejoice in all situations. And, uh, you know, we want to be those who are joyful in our God. We, and we've got so much to rejoice about. You know, God's goodness to us, the forgiveness of our sins, everlasting life, a purpose in our life. You know, peace and love and oh, the goodness of God. We are, we, are, we are called to rejoice, to rejoice, to rejoice. And this morning, we're going to look at another aspect of the Feast of Tabernacles. And that was, it was a feast of glory. A feast of glory. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, that we know that represents the presence of God, the power of God. And as they journeyed in the time of Moses in the wilderness, in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle of Moses, that is the place where the ark dwelt. And when they were stationary, not moving, not traveling, the ark would be placed in the Holy of Holies. And there in the Holy of Holies, there were no windows, there were no oil lamps, Normally it would be dark, but it was not dark because the Shekinah, glory of God, the manifest presence of God was in the Holy of Holies. But when David, when King David became king, he was anointed the third time to be king over the whole land of Israel in Hebron. But after that anointing to be king of the whole nation of Israel, straight away, he left Hebron and he came to Jerusalem. And then he conquered Mount Zion, Mount Zion. And at that time, the enemy, the Jebusites, were there. But God gave David's men victory over the Jebusites. They speak of disunity. He drove them out. And he took Mount Zion. 
And after he'd taken Mount Zion, then David, there was something a longing in his heart. He longed for the presence of God. And so that ark, it represents the presence of God. And that was sta- the, the ark was stationed in another town of Judah, a town called Kirjus Jerem. And so he sent, so they, he went to Kirjus Jerem to bring the ark back to Jerusalem. The first time it was not successful, Uzzah reached out and touched it, he died. God's judgment came upon him. The second time he did it the proper way, and the priests, the Levites, they carried the ark on the poles, and they brought the ark from, from, from uh, the house of Obadiah-Dedim, where, where, it, it, where it stopped on the first time, and they brought it from there, they brought it from there to Jerusalem, and not just to Jerusalem, but to Mount Zion in Jerusalem. And at Mount Zion, it was, it was, just, in a, it was just a simple te- tent that David erected on Mount Zion, and there he placed the ark under that tent. David was, he was a king. He was a man after God's heart. He loved God. He wanted God. He worshipped God. He was a worshipper. And he worshipped in spirit and in truth. And as he worshipped the Lord, the glory of God was there, the presence of God under that tent of David. And then David, in his heart, there was a longing that he would build a permanent place for the ark. And so it was just, it was just under a tent on Mount Zion's hill. But God did not allow him to build it, although he made many preparations and gathered gold and silver and all kinds of uh, materials for the ark. But his son, who was his son Solomon, a man of peace, he, and there was peace in Solomon's time. And so Solomon, when he began his reign as king of Israel, then on the fourth year of his reign, then he was, instru- he was instructed by David beforehand to do it. And then he began to build the temple, this wonderful temple of Solomon, known as Solomon's t- Temple. It took seven years to build. And he began it in the fourth year of his reign. So it was completed in the 11th year of Solomon's reign. And so, you know, Solomon took those seven years and he completed that glorious temple which probably was the most glorious building on the earth at that time. Now, in 1 Kings and in chapter 8, 1 Kings and chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, Solomon, he assembled the elders of Israel and all the heads of the tribes, the chief of the fathers of the children of Israel unto King Solomon in Jerusalem, that they might bring up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord out of the city of David, which is Zion. And all the men of Israel assembled themselves unto King Solomon at the feast in the month Ethanam, which is the seventh month. So the seventh month, which was the month of the Feast of Tabernacles, it was from the 15th day to the 21st day, and it was the seventh month. And that seventh month was called Ethanam, and it also was called Tishri. It had two names, Ethanim, and then also it was called Tishri. And the priests, what they did when it, at the time of the dedication of the tabernacle of the Temple of Solomon, then the, the priests, 
they went to Mount Zion, where David had the ark, and they, they carried the ark. The, the ark was carried on staves. There were four of the priests who would hold the ends of those, of those staves, and the ark was carried from Mount Zion, the hill of Mount Zion, where it was under the tent, where David had it, and then they carried it from there to Mount Moriah, where the temp nearby, where the temple of Solomon was just completed. And there it was placed. The Ark of the Covenant was placed in the Holy of Holies, in the temple of Solomon. And then at the dedication of that temple, when the Ark was in the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God came down. And it was like the Shekinah, the glory of God, came in to the Holy of Holies where the ark was. And the glory came at the Feast of Tabernacles. It was the feast of the seventh month. That was the main feast which people referred to as sometimes the Feast of Tabernacles was just called the feast. It was like the main feast in the, the seventh month. And, you know, that we, we read about it in 1 Kings 8, verses 5 to 8. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him, they were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be told or numbered. You know, so many sacrifices were made unto the Lord. And the priests brought in the ark of the covenant of the Lord unto, un, unto his place, into the oracle of the house. That means into the holy of holies, into the most holy place, even under the wings of the cherubim. We know that the, the cherubim, the, the top of the ark was the mercy seat, attached to the mercy seat were the two cherubim. For the cherubim spread their wings over the ark, over the place of the ark, and the cherubim covered the ark and the staves above them. And they drew out the staves, that the ends of the staves were seen out in the holy place before the oracle, and they were not seen without. You could not see them from outside, and they are there unto this day. So, the staves or the poles of the Ark of the Covenant used to carry the Ark. And the Ark was only to be carried. It was not to be put on a cart. And the Ark was only to be carried by the Levites. And the Ark or the poles, when, it, when, it, when they were placed in the Solomon's temple, in the Holy of Holies, they were withdrawn. They were taken off. And the reason? Because the Ark had come to its final dwelling place. The ark had come to its final dwelling place. When the, when the temple of Solomon was dedicated, then the Shekinah glory fell. The Lord, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And what happened? The 120 priests, when the glory of God came down into that tem temple, those priests were not able to stand up. And they fell, fell to the ground. They fell to the ground. They fell to the ground in the presence of God. So there was the literal glory of God. And sometimes, sometimes 
God's glory can be like a, a tangible cloud of light. You know, when Paul met the Lord, he saw, you know, a light brighter than the light of the sun. That was the glory of God. And he fell down. And he was wonderfully saved at that time. 1 Kings 8 and verse 10 and 11. 1 Kings 8, 10 and 11. And it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the priests could not stand to minister because of the cloud. For the glory of the Lord had filled the house of the Lord. Now this all happened when the ark was brought into the temple. It was the Feast of Tabernacles. It was a feast of tabernacles. Of the, in Leviticus 23, it speaks of seven feasts. Three principal feasts were Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. Now, Passover was fulfilled when Jesus died on the cross. Pentecost was fulfilled, Acts chapter 2, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the early church. But the feast, the greatest feast, has not yet been fulfilled. The greatest feast, Feast of Tabernacles, the fulfillment is in the last days. And it speaks of great harvest, great ingathering, multitudes of souls getting saved. But it speaks of other things as well. And one of those is it speaks of the glory, the glory of God will be manifest. And so it's like we're on the brink of the Feast of Tabernacles. We're on the edge of the Feast of Tabernacles. You know, we know Jesus is coming soon on the one hand, but on the other hand, we know it cannot be next week or next month or, or, or very soon because there are certain things which have not yet been fulfilled. And one of the main things, as far as the church is concerned, is the great outpouring of the last days, the, the, the glory of God coming, which is the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles. And in the, in, the, in, the, in the wisdom of God, he has allowed us, we have the privilege of being alive. You know, we could have been born any other century, going back to the time of Adam. But no, God's ordained that each one of us have been born in this last end-time generation. And, you know, I believe many of us will be, will, be, will be part of that fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles in these last days. And the glory came, and the glory of God filled the house. You know, this happened when the ark came into the temple. And there will be visible manifestations of God's glory during the Feast of Tabernacles. It's like the feast of the literal presence of God. And as we've said, God's glory sometimes is like a tangible cloud of light. In the revival in Azusa Street in 1906, on some nights... Even people coming to the meetings, they could look up above the... It was just an old sh uh, shed where, the, where they, they were the, uh, meeting, and people could look up at night time 
above the top of the building, and they could see, you know, the light of God, like, like a cloud coming down above that, and even fire coming from that light. And on the nights that that was the strongest, sometimes that was the nights when the greatest miracles were performed. For example, a person who had no arm, one day was, pr was prayed for, and then the bones grew. And as the bones grew, flesh came on them. And as the flesh grew, skin came on them. And it came right out. out. And then the thumb and the fingers and the whole hand. I mean, outs incredible miracles that happened. And so when God's literal presence comes, you know, anything can happen. It is the feast of God's literal presence. In Exodus 16, verse 10, and it came to pass, as Aaron spoke unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. The glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And that was like the glory of God, the Shekinah. It was a cloud by day. It was a pillar of fire by night. So the glory came and the priests fell. They could not stand the presence of God. I was in one meeting in India where there'd been a time of worship and there was a powerful presence of God. There was a powerful presence of God. It just, it just came down in our midst. It's one of the, probably one of the most strongest times that in my lifetime I've experienced there were about 200 pastors and leaders were there. I was waiting to preach. They were worshipping God. And it was, we did not see the glory of God, but the glory of God was there. The presence of God was so strong. And I was seated on the platform, and those in the front row, they just could not stand. Like what happened at the dedication of Solomon's temple. They could not stand. Bang, 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 bang. It was a concrete floor. And there were no catches. And they fell down. By the grace of God, nobody was hurt. And they fell down. They fell. And then the second row, bang, bang, bang. Third row, bang. And just in a short time, there was probably about 150 people lying on the floor and just bathing in the presence of God, the presence of God. And I remember distinctly, even though it was many years ago, a young man, the young Indian, he was lying on the floor, and God gave him a vision of India, and he began to prophesy as he saw that vision. He began to prophesy what he saw. He saw the revival fires beginning in the south, and then going up into the north. And, you know, the many coming to the Lord, many miracles happening, the power of God happening. And that, that, that is being fulfilled. In fact, you know, there's, there's churches, there's some churches, you know, 20,000, 30,000 people in southern India today. And many have come to the Lord, many have come to the Lord. And many miracles have taken place. In north India, it's a different story. 
There's been a lot of difficulty and hardship and persecutions and churches burnt and all kinds of problems. But it is beginning to, to, to be fulfilled. I remember Pastor Bailey shared. He shared a, about a, a meeting in France and it was a, a group of ministers were, were, were meeting there and the presence of God came and, and then and the people saw it in the congregation. A literal cloud came down over the platform and covered all the, the ministers who were on the platform, you know, in, in that enveloped the ministers, the pastors that were on the platform. In the New Testament, in Luke's in Matthew chapter 17, at the time of the transfiguration of Jesus. Jesus was transfigured. And it's estimated that it was about six months before he went to the cross. It was estimated it was about around the time of the Feast of Tabernacles that Jesus, he, he didn't take all the disciples, he just took three, three who were close to him, Peter and James and John, and they had the privilege of going up the mountain with Jesus. And they were alone there. And Jesus was transfigured, and his face shone brighter than the sun, and his, his, clo their clo his clothes were glistening white. And then with him appeared Moses and Elijah on the mountain. Tremendous, tremendous experience for those three disciples. And Peter even suggested, you know, let us make here three tabernacles, one for Jesus, one for Moses, one for Elijah. And so even here, this associates God's glory with the Feast of Tabernacles. We have seen that at the dedication of Solomon's temple, which was at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles, the glory of God filled the temple. And in Matthew 17 and verse 5, we read that a bright cloud overshadowed them, and the Father spoke, and the Father spoke to the Son in an audible voice, in order, this is my beloved son, and hear ye him. Those three disciples, Peter, James, and John, heard the audible voice of God, and they were commanded to hear, to hear the son, to listen to the son, to obey the son. And there is coming a, you know, they, they heard the voice, the, the voice, that audible voice, and, and, and as we get closer to the Feast of Tabernacles, I believe God's, God's children are going to, have, they're, they're going to be more and more sensitive to the voice of God, not just in the big things, even in the little things, that we do what God tells us to do. We, we, we obey what God tells us to obey. The glory, the glory of God was there. When I... I think in the first year I was in India, I was invited to, a, to speak at a, a seminar way up in the north. We were living in the south to a seminar way up in the north. And there I met a pastor at a, at a he, he could not speak English, I had to use a translator. But I met a pastor, he was called Pastor Zaki. He was from Punjab in North India, fairly it's a great big guy, great big guy, twice my size. And he'd had a terrible past, a terrible past. 
He'd been involved in sin. He'd been involved in, in, in trafficking, drug trafficking, trafficking between the borders of, the, uh, of India and Pakistan. And because of everything he got into, he had to carry guns and there was smuggling of drugs. He had killed three men. And eventually the police caught up with him. He ended up in jail. He first turned to his Hindu gods, but they were of no help. And then he cried out in desperation, if there is a God, reveal yourself to me. Release me from this prison. And he was suddenly awakened from a deep sleep. And it was the voice of the Lord. There is no one else beside me who can forgive a man of his past life and release you from your inward conflicts. He then opened his eyes and he saw Jesus standing before him. He saw Jesus in his beauty, in his glory, standing before him. And Jesus said to him, turn from your evil ways, surrender your life to me. God gave him repentance. And Jesus spoke to him the date in which he was going to be released. He told people, they scoffed and mocked at him. But miraculously, he was released on that date. Later, people were trying to kill him, get revenge. But God protected him. Later, he became, he studied. Later on, he became a pastor. And when I met, to, when, when I met him, and, you know, I talked to him, you know, he'd, he was, he, he traveled a lot. He led, led thousands to the Lord. He'd baptized over 300 different people. Amazing experience, amazing. In, in two, August 2004, I was teaching in Jakarta, Indonesia, on, the, 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 on the, the life of Christ. And when I came to the passage about the transfiguration of Christ, my interpreter, most of you will know her, Yuliati, she's been here several times, she was my interpreter, and when we were talking about the transfiguration, we just sensed the anointing come and a strong presence of God, strong presence of God was there. And we later heard that one of the students, at the exact time that I was sharing about Christfiguration, she was, you know, she was sitting there. Uh, and, and, and studying in the class. And then, but she said, she suddenly saw Yuliati and myself, you know, covered with a mist or a cloud. And so she could not see us because of the mist and the cloud that was, which she saw around us. But she could not hear, she, she, could, she could hear our voices, but she was not able to see us. So, this experience that Jesus had, I mean, Jesus passed through this experience of the transfiguration, of being changed, of the glory of God coming down. Just six months before the cross, at the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. And this experience of being transfigured, I mean, it's not just there. There's a purpose in it, in it being there. There's a purpose for everything in the Word of God. But the transfiguration foreshadows 
the glory that will come upon the church in these last days, the fulfilment of the Feast of Tabernacles. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul is writing to the believers there. And, 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 and he's comparing, he's comparing the glory that was upon Moses in the Old Testament. You remember Moses? He'd been 40 days, 40 nights in the mountain. He came down from the mountain and his face was shining. And so much so that the children of Israel could not look upon his face. So he had to put a covering over his face when he went before the children of Israel. When he went into God's presence, he took that off. But Paul is saying to the Corinthians that if Moses had that much glory in the Old Testament, he's saying in the New Covenant, it's going to be greater, greater, greater glory. And so the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles, there'll be the New Covenant, it'll be far greater glory than the glory that Moses experienced. And it says in verse 11, in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3, for if that which is done away, if that which was done away, the glory in, in the, the Old Testament, the Moses' time, that was it, was, it was done away, it was finished with. But much more, much more, that which remains is glorious, or is glorious, is more glorious, is rather glorious, it is more glorious, it is going to be far greater. And then in Isaiah, Isaiah prophesies, in Isaiah Chapter 4 and verse 5. And he speaks about those spiritually who come to Mount Zion and the blessing that will be upon them and the glory of God that will come to them. And in Isaiah chapter 4 and in verse 5, Isaiah is prophesying. And he says, The Lord will create upon every dwelling place of Mount Zion and upon her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night, and upon all the glory shall be a defense. In other words, the glory will be a protection. It will be a defense. When the Egyptians were following the children of Israel, trying to kill them, then the glory of God was in between. And the children of God, they had light. The Egyptians, they had darkness. And the glory of God was there. And the glory of God protected them from the Egyptians who were after their lives. And so the cloud and smoke by day and the sh shining of a flaming fire by night. So here the prophet Isaiah is saying that the churches that come to spiritual Mount Zion in the last days will be covered with the glory of God and the fire by night. And this promise, this promise of protection, is not only for the millennium, it's not only for the millennium, but it is for the church, the true church in these last days. And in verse 6, which is a verse that Pastor Tucker quoted at the convention on, at the end of his message, in verse 6, and it says there, and there shall be a tabernacle for a shadow in the daytime from the heat. In other words, a protection. And for a place of refuge, a, 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 a protecting place. And for a covert from the storm and from the rain. 
and there's going to be the storm, and there's going to be the rain, and there's going to be the trials, and there's going to be the violence, and there's going to be the riots, and there's, there's going to be the pandemics. But for us in the church, there is the light of God. There is the glory of God. There is the protection of God. There is the blessing of God. The church is a place of safety and protection. Even in the midst of gross darkness, rioting and everything else that's going on, the church will be a place of shelter. The church will be a place of protection. The church will be a place of God's provision. There'll be the contrast. And we don't see that. One of the, the, the verses that puts us in a, in a capsule, it puts it in a nutshell, and it's so clear. And I know it's quoted very often, but it, it, where we are right now, it sums, it sums it up, I think, more clearly than, than just about every other verse. And that's the familiar verse we all know well, which we sing about, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 and 2. And there, arise, shine, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen on you. The glory of God on the last day church. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth and gross darkness the people. God had to destroy the world in the time of Noah because of the violence, because of the sin, because of the evil and the darkness. But he promised, he gave God a covenant, the rainbow, that he would not destroy the whole earth again. When the darkness increases and the evil and the sin increases, the light is going to shine bright and the glory of God is coming and the Christians will arise and the glory of God will be upon them. The manifest glory of God. Verse 2, Behold, the darkness shall cover the earth, gross darkness the people, but the Lord shall rise upon them and his glory shall be seen upon them. You know, in these momentous times which we are living, it's not a time just to be half-hearted. It's not a time to be lukewarm. It's not a time to play church. We need to be all out, all out for God. We need to be fully committed to the Lord and to his church. Psalm 110, verse 3, Thy people shall be willing in the day of your power. And we need to live lives of purity and holiness. That's why David prayed, Psalm 51.10, Pure, Create in me a clean heart, O God. And that's why Isaiah says in Isaiah 52.11, Be clean, you that bear the vessels of the Lord. We need to pray and keep praying. Pray that the presence of God will increase here in our midst and that the glory of God, the glory of God will be revealed. Ephesians 5.27 tells us that the church that Jesus is coming back for, and Jesus is coming back for a bride. She'll be a beautiful bride. She'll be a glorious bride. It says she'll be a glorious church, a glorious church, without spot, without blemish. A holy church, walking in holiness, walking in purity. 
Jesus, Paul, he spoke of the glory. And so the true church in the last days will be full of the glory and the blessing of God. And this hill we are now on, over this, where we're, we're sitting now at the top of a hill. Hundred years ago, more than a hundred years ago, it was named, and it was named prophetically, but it was named Glory Hill. Glory Hill. That was the name of it. It's even on the topographical maps. And, you know, my prayer, our prayer, should be that may God's manifest, visible glory be experienced here on Glory Hill. Amen. Father, work in our hearts. Seal this word to our hearts. Prepare us for your glory. Thank you, Lord. Amen.